it's good to see each and every one here tonight. Let's get us a songbook. Turn over to page number 308. Get you a book now. 308. Everyone standing tonight. Are you washed in the blood? Give them time. Some are a little sleep. Steve, come on, a little bit slow, Steve. Somebody give Steve a book so he can sing along with us. 308. Yeah. 308. Are you washed in the blood? All the first, all together now. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? On a second now. Are you walking daily by the Savior's son? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Amen. Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another.
last now. Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood? washed in the blood. Amen. Of North Carolina, you're washed, but uh, washed or washed, I'm glad I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm glad you're here tonight. Let's remember all the things going on, and always, there's so many things going on. So many of our folks are out on Wednesday nights. We have a number of folks working in Iwana. The Iwana has grown by leaps and bounds this year. The youth, that'll be 70, close to 80 back there tonight in the teenagers and junior high and senior high so a lot of activities going on several hundred around here so let's remember uh, the work of the Lord tonight in different areas Kim Turnmeyer you lead us in prayer if you would please yes yes absolutely yes be with them Yes. Yes, Lord. Amen. Let's keep on singing. It's 283. There's power in the blood. 283. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power Power, power. 
Ushers, come forward to receive our offering tonight. Remind you as I do every Wednesday night that what you give on Wednesday night supports the Bible conference in the fall. And a very, very large expense for us every year. And your giving on Wednesday night helps us and enables us to uh, bring others in and to provide lodging for many, many guests. So let me encourage you to give tonight. How many of you have been praying now for Sundays, our second of our three Super Sundays? And I want you to pray. Pray that God will be with this Sunday. Pray that the Lord will move. I'm just anticipating a great day. I hope that every one of you are making plans and working to bring someone with you on Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And we're trying on these three Super Sundays, our Revival Sunday that is past, Resurrection Sunday, and Mother's Day, which is called Relative Day, uh, to try to get our loved ones in. For these are three Sundays that you have a great opportunity to get folks in church, and we want to maximize <clears throat> our efforts to get folks in church. So everybody, work to bring somebody with you Sunday, and let's have a full house, and let's pray that God will move in a special way. How I many of you believe in God for something special on Sunday? Amen? <clears throat> four of you are. I want the rest of you now to join with those four poor lost souls that did amen a while ago. How many of you are believing in God for something special Sunday? Say amen. There you go. Some of you is going to kill you say amen out loud, but you better get used to it. Heaven's going to be full of hallelujahs. But let's really trust the Lord again. Between now and Sunday, invite everybody you see, call them. It's a sad Sunday. There's not a better Sunday in the year to get your family and friends in church than Easter Sunday. For you'll get folks to come to church on Easter that normally wouldn't come any other time. So let's really take advantage of this opportunity and really pray that God will give us a great day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are alive. And we pray, Lord, that you would meet with us on the Lord's day and that we'll see the living presence of Jesus Christ manifested in our services. Lord, help us all to get folks here on Sunday, our family, our friends. We want to get them in church. Many have been praying for loved ones. And Sunday is a great opportunity to get them to come. And I pray, Lord, that those that come and our folks as they work to bring their friends and family that on Sunday they'll meet a living Lord. And I pray that they'll come to the Lord Jesus and many will be saved. We pray for the power of God on the services. Now be with us tonight. Bless our giving. May we give an expression of our gratitude for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
forward to Resurrection Sunday because we serve a resurrected Lord. And you know, just as he went away, he's coming back again. And yet, we have to watch every day because we know not neither the day nor the hour that he's coming back. In Second Peter it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We don't know when, but we do know that our resurrected Lord will return someday. There's a lot of things I don't know, but one thing I do know, when he comes again, I'm ready. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 30. The book of Exodus chapter 30. And we're going to continue our study of the tabernacle tonight. The tabernacle. We're going to look at the labor. Exodus chapter 30. When you came in, you were given, given a little sheet tonight. Little some blanks in there for you to fill in. Wednesday nights, we want you to study the Bible. That's why we're here to study the Word of God. And we want to try to employ as many means and methods as possible to help you to learn the Word of God. There's three ways, basically, that we're using on Wednesday night. One is hearing. You are listening. As I speak and describe to you what the Bible has to say, you're hearing. We use the screen so that you might see as well. And then we added the little bulletin there where you fill in the blank so that you can write things down. If you will listen and see, if you will see it and hear it and then say it or write it, you have a much better chance of retaining what you hear and learn. And that's what Bible study is all about. You haven't really learned something until you're able to retain that matter. And so we want to try to use every method possible so that you can learn the Word of God, so you can grow in your knowledge of the Scriptures and the Word of God. But uh, you were given a bulletin as you came in tonight. Trust that you'll take advantage of that and follow and fill in the blanks and it'll help you to remember a little bit about our study of the tabernacle. Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. Exodus chapter 30, verse 17. We'll read down through about verse 21. Again tonight, we're thinking about the laver. The laver. Verse 17, Exodus 30. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. Thou shalt put it between the tabernacle, the congregation, and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Verse 18, the scripture said, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass. Thank you. you may be seated. We'll look at the laver tonight, and we'll point out just a few things about the laver. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful promise that you're coming again, and how thrilling it is to the heart of the believer to know that Jesus Christ could come back at any day. Father, we understand that if things in our life are not right, it's a disturbing thought. But yet if we are abiding in Him and will not be ashamed at His coming, it's a thrilling thing to realize that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. Fathers, we come tonight, we ask You, Lord, that in light of the coming of Jesus Christ, that we would be open to Your Word, that we might grow in our study of the Scriptures, and that we might apply the truth of God that we learned tonight to our lives. So bless now our moments together. We thank you and praise you for it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Well, for the past five Wednesday nights or the past several weeks, we have been looking at the tabernacle. 
and trying to learn a few things about the Christian life and about Jesus Christ as symbolized in the tabernacle. We began by looking at the tabernacle as a whole. And we saw the tabernacle, the tent, uh, the structure in the wilderness that is called the tabernacle. Then we began to look at the outer court or what was called or is called the courtyard or the court of the tabernacle. I put a picture up on the screen and you can get an idea of the outer court, the tabernacle. You see it there. And of course it was the outer court was really a linen fence that surrounded the tabernacle. Oftentimes when we talk about the tabernacle, we take the whole structure and we just uh, call it the whole thing, the tabernacle. But actually the tabernacle is that tent that is at the back end of this picture. And the outer court is, uh, the outer court is the white fence that you see going around it, which surrounds it. But the tabernacle itself, the tabernacle of the congregation, is really a tent that is located on the west end. But we saw the outer court and learned something about the symbolism of it. And then we looked at the gate. You see the distinguished gate here at the very end on the east end of the tabernacle itself on the bottom part of the picture there. And it had different colors in it. And we looked at the gate or the door of the tabernacle, the door, the tent of the congregation. And we learned a few things about that. Then we looked at the altar. As you went through the gate and come inside the outer court, the first thing that you saw was an altar. We put a picture up here of the altar. And this was a brass structure, one of the largest. It was the largest piece of furniture in the tabernacle itself. And here was where the sacrifices were offered. Here's where the sacrifices were placed. And they were carefully dissected and laid in order upon the altar. And then they were consumed by fire that God had ignited. These were the offerings that were offered on the altar, the uh, offerings offered every day, offerings, special offerings on the Day of Atonement in different times during their feast days. We looked at the altar and we learned a few things about the altar. Tonight we want to look at the laver and we consider the laver. We put a picture up of one artist's rendering of the laver. It's the second piece of furniture in the outer court. And of all the pieces of furniture, we have the least information in regard to the laver. The Bible doesn't give us any measurements. The Bible doesn't give us any dimensions or a pattern for the laver. And most of what we know about the laver has been handed down by tradition. The picture that we have on the screen here is one artist or one individual's perception of what the laver may have looked like. Many of them describe it as like a huge ball set on a little pedestal there. And again, we don't have any pattern given to us in the Bible like the other pieces of furniture or no other, uh, no dimensions or measurements that are given to it. Uh, again, what we know and what we think the labor looked like is that which has been handed down by tradition. You find in the Bible that it basically was called the labor or the labor of brass. Here in our text, next to chapter 30, it was called a brass or a labor of brass. Most of the time when somebody speaks about the laver, they will simply call it the brass laver. If you buy books on the tabernacle, most of the chapter headings on this particular item are entitled the brass laver. But the Bible calls it a laver or a laver of brass. In your notes, you can jot down two things here. The Bible describes the laver as being in two parts. You notice verse 18 of our text it said, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass. It is broken down into two parts. It is broken down. One part was the laver itself, and the other was the 
foot of the laver, which would be to us the base. Now the laver is that part or a basin that held water. The foot is called his foot here, but the foot of the laver would have been the base of the laver or a pedestal to which the laver is sitting upon. And that would be the foot of it. But again, the top part, the laver, would be a basin that contained water and the foot would be the pedestal that it was set upon. Both of these were made of brass. The Bible speaks about it being a laver. The word laver simply means a pot or a pan. It is interesting that we get our English word lavatory from the word that is translated laver. That gives you an idea of what the purpose of the laver was and what it was all about. The laver in a nutshell was a basin in which water was kept. And there was basically two reasons or two things that the laver served. These kind of connect one another. The laver was a place of washing and the laver was a place of cleansing. It was a place where the priest would wash, but not only would they wash, but the spiritual significance of it was that they would cleanse themselves. So this place, this, this basin... Uh, this lavatory, this basin which water was held was strictly for the priests and there they would wash themselves and there they would cleanse themselves. Verse 8 tells us the materials that were used to build or to make the laver. Verse, or chapter X is chapter 38 in verse 8 the Bible, not chapter 30, but chapter 38 in verse 8. You look at the reference later. But the Bible tells us in Exodus 38 verse 8, that the laver was made from the looking glasses of the women. The looking glasses of the women. We would say mirrors. Everything about the tabernacle was uh, built from materials that had been donated by the people of God. That a humongous offering. And uh, Moses came down from the mountain and said, God's give me orders to build a a tabernacle, a dwelling place for God on the earth, and we're going to have a chance to Joash Sunday. And he said, well, everybody's going to give something over and above the normal. And so they, everybody gave material things, uh, monetary things, and different things like that. Everybody gave. One of the things that the women gave were their looking glasses, the Bible calls it, or as, again, as we would say, their mirrors. And of course, in those days, they didn't have glass mirrors like we have today. In ancient Egypt, the highly polished brass, highly polished brass was what was used for mirrors. And of course, they had just left Egypt, and no doubt when they left there, the women carried some of these ancient Egyptian mirrors with them. And when it came time to donate articles to be used in the building of the tabernacle, all their gold and silver and, and certain colors and brass and so forth, the women folk turned in their looking glasses or their mirrors. And so the brazen laver was made of the mirrors of the women. Now there's two things I want to point out to you about the first two pieces of furniture that you find. As I said, when you walk through the door, enter the gate, the first thing you saw was the altar. And then the next thing that you saw was the laver, the thing that we're looking at tonight. Now let me just point out two things about them. The altar and what it symbolized and the laver and what it symbolized. Now the laver speaks to us of a believer being cleansed from their sins. Now you say, wasn't that what the altar was all about? Yes, but there are two different lessons to be found in both the altar and the laver. Both of them have to do with cleansing, being dealing with sin, but two different aspects. Take the altar for example. 
The altar is symbolic of the work of justification in our life. Now, justification simply means that God hath declared us righteous, that we have been justified. Someone said that justific justification or being justified, a simple definition is, is just as if I had never sinned. That's one good way to look at it. But justification means more than that I have not sinned or it's, I'm in a standing where I have no sin. It means that I have been declared righteous. That the righteousness of Christ has been imputed unto me. And I have been declared righteous in the eyes of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what the altar was all about. You came to the altar. That was salvation. You were justified by faith. You brought your sacrifice. And a sacrifice took your place, you might say, to make an atonement for your sin that you might have a relationship with God. That's justification. There your sins were atoned for. But that sin, dealing with sin doesn't stop with salvation. As we all know, when we got saved, the day we got saved, God washed our sins away. Through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, God cleansed us of all of our sin. Aren't you glad for that? Say amen. But you also know that even though God forgave you of all of your sin, the day you got saved, you still deal with sin in your life as a believer. That's where the labor comes in. The altar symbolized the work of justification. The labor symbolizes the work of sanctification, where we are set apart unto God. I am justified, made and declared righteous through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. But at the labor, I find that after I am justified, there begins that process whereby I am sanctified. Sanctification does not mean, that's a word that scares Baptists to death, but sanctification does not mean that you are sinless. Sanctification means that you are, something is taken from a normal usage and dedicated to a divine usage. It is set apart from something and set apart to something. And when a man is sanctified, it's simply meaning that you are being set apart unto God. That your whole life has been transformed and you are becoming more and more and more the property of God in a practical sense. But there's this matter of sanctification as we grow, as we become God's property or as we begin to realize that we're God's property and we deal with sin. Now saying all that, let me just point out three things tonight about the labor. The first thing that I draw to your attention is the place of the labor. The place of the labor. Look at verse 18 and the Bible tells us where the labor was located. It said, Thou shalt make also a labor of brass. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. Now the place of the altar, the labor, was between the tabernacle and the altar. Between the tabernacle and the altar. Now when you come in, you walk, come through the gate. Again, the first thing you saw was the altar. And then the next thing that you saw was the labor. In fact, I think I have another picture here. There it is. It's not too clear. But this big box on the end is the altar. That's the first thing you would see when you'd walk in. Now, if you were looking toward the tent, you see a little shadow there. It doesn't show up very well. Uh, but that is the labor. That is the next thing in line. 
And notice that it is sitting right next to the tabernacle itself. It is sitting right at the door of the tent where you entered into the tent where the priest would go in to the, in the holy place and then on into the most holy place. It is sitting right next to the tabernacle itself, the altar and then the laver just before you entered into the tent. It's the last piece of furniture before the priest went into the tabernacle itself. Its place stands as a lesson that before a believer can ever enjoy or experience or enter into the presence of God, they must first learn to deal with sin in their life. Now, we've been saved. That's the altar. But there is daily sin we've got to deal with. You see, our objective is we come through the door, Christ, and through His work on the cross, the altar, we have been justified. Now we grow in grace and now we're learning to deal with sin and we're making our way to get into the presence of God and the tent itself. But before you ever go into that tent, you had to stop at the labor. You could not walk. In fact, he said, if you didn't stop at the labor, told the priest, they would die. You sin can, cannot dwell in the presence of God. Sin cannot enter the presence of God. So if you're going to get in the presence of God, which we want to, we want to live in God's presence, we want to enjoy God's presence, then we've got to learn to deal with our sin. The, one of the first lessons that a believer must learn after they are saved is how to deal with their sins. Now let me just point out two things. I just want to emphasize two things tonight and clarify something. The first one is this, and you can fill in the blank in your brochure there. The believer has an eternal relationship with God. Every believer has an eternal relationship with God. That's what the altar stands for. Your sins have been atoned for. You've been brought into a relationship with God. And the Bible emphasizes that our relationship with God is an eternal relationship. In other words, what I'm simply saying is a term that's been attached to Baptists, basically to Baptists. It's a term called eternal security. In other words, when we talk about eternal security, we're simply saying that we have eternal life. Now, if it wasn't eternal life, we couldn't call it eternal life. If you were only saved for five years, it'd be five-year life, not eternal life. If you were only saved for ten years, it'd be ten-year life. You might be able to get term life, whatever like that along the way. But eternal life is eternal life. You have an eternal relationship with God. But the believer not only has an eternal relationship, but second of all, the believer must maintain fellowship with God. There is a relationship and there is fellowship with God. Two different things. You have an eternal relationship with God. That is exemplified or symbolized by the altar. But the believer has to maintain his fellowship with God. God maintains the relationship. The believer maintains the fellowship. There are two big differences there. That's where people that do not believe in eternal security are confused. Again, after we are saved, we, we are brought into relationship with God. When we sin, we do not lose our relationship. What is affected is our fellowship. And there's two different things and very, very, very important. For example, again, my relationship is eternal. I am a trivet. 
Whether I like it or not or won't or not, I'm happy to be a trivet. But uh, if I didn't like to be a trivet, it wouldn't change the fact. I can go down to the court and have my name changed like the one fellow went down there and said he won't have his name changed. And the judge said, what's your name? And he said, Bill Stinks. And the judge kind of grinned said, I believe I understand why you want your name changed. Why you want it changed to? And he said, Joe Stinks. Well, if you want to change your name, whatever like that, it wouldn't make any difference. You could change it. I could change my name from Trivet to Jones or whatever like that. It still wouldn't change the fact I'm a Trivet. I am a Trivet. I will always be a Trivet. That's my bloodline. That's my nature. That is a settled fact. But it's possible that you could have your fellowship broken. Me and my dad could be estranged. Me and my dad could be at odds with one another, not talk to each other, and whatever like that. Our relationship hasn't changed. He's my father. I'm his son. Nothing will alter that. Nothing can alter that. That's a physical fact of life. It cannot be changed. But my fellowship has been broken. Our fellowship has been broken. You see, a believer that is saved is saved eternally. You don't ever need to be saved again. Jesus did not say, you must be born again and again and again. No, he said you must be born again. But what happens is that you lose or break your fellowship with God. Romans 8 tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. John 10 says, no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. So we're eternally saved. But what happens after we're saved is sin breaks our fellowship with God. Now let me just throw this in. Usually those who do not believe in eternal security accuse us that do believe in eternal security as a promoting a doctrine that teaches that people can go out and live any way they want to and still be saved. Let me just say this. First of all, if you can go out and live any way you want to, it's pretty good evidence you've never been saved to start with. Because when you get saved, it changes your life. You can get away from God, drift away from God, whatever there, but in your heart, you are haunted by the fact you're not in fellowship with God. You know you're doing wrong. You know you're away from God. You know you are living out of fellowship with God. And you are haunted by the fact that you're not in fellowship with God. If you go out and live any way you want to, do anything you want to, and it never bother you. It's not that you have eternal security. You can do what you want to. It's a good indication you've never had eternal life to start with. And second of all, you can't live any way you want to if you say. There is a God that deals with sin. If you don't deal with sin, He will deal with sin. It's what Corinthians talked about. Judge yourself lest ye be judged. And if I judge myself, I'll not be judged. In other words, I am to deal with sin in my life. But if I don't deal with sin, then God will deal with sin in my life. But the issue is fellowship. Now, in order to have fellowship with God, cleansing is required. The purpose or the place of the labor reminds us that before we ever can enter into the presence of God, we must be cleansed. Look at the second thing, the purpose of the labor. Again, we've all referred to it, but let me clarify a little more. Verse 19. The Bible said in verse 19 of Exodus 30 that Aaron and his sons, the purpose of it was for Aaron and his sons, shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. The purpose of the labor was to wash their hands and their feet. That was the purpose, to wash their hands and their feet. Before they could enter in the holy place, they had to wash themselves and they had to cleanse themselves. And at a short distance from the altar, 
to the laver. The sandal-shod feet of the priests would become defiled by the dirt, and they could not enter into the holy place dirty. So they would come to the laver, and before they entered in there, they would wash their hands, and they would wash their feet. Symbolically, they were cleansing themselves. Now, as a child of God, as we live for God and serve God, as we walk in this world, and the Bible compares the Christian life to a walk. Ephesians 4.1 talks about walking worthy of the vocation wherein you're called. Ephesians 5.8, walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love. Ephesians 5.15, walk circumspectly. Our life is described as a walk. And as we walk in this world, our feet, let's say, let's say, becomes defiled. We sin, we fail God, we come short. And thus we are defiled, our feet become dirty. And so we have to have cleansing and we have to deal with sin. We have to wash our feet. A good example is found in John chapter 13. If you would turn there for just a moment. This is a great passage. In fact, I thought about just preaching the whole message out of this story and, and spending more time with it. But let me just point out a few things about it. It's a great illustration of the believer and his daily life and how to deal with sin and being cleansed from sin. John chapter 13, verse 8. You know the story. Verse 8, the Bible said, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus had started going around washing the feet of the disciples. And when he got to Peter, Peter said in verse 8, Oh, no, no, no. You'll never wash my feet. I'm your lowly servant. You're my Lord. Uh, you don't need to be down and taking the role of a servant. You don't need to be acting like the slave in the house, taking that minimal role. No, 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 no. You will not wash my feet. Jesus answered him in verse 8 and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. The word part that is used there is a word that talks about a partnership. It'd be what we would describe as fellowship. Jesus said to him, he said, come by to wash Peter's feet. Peter said, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you don't have any fellowship with me. Peter, you don't have any partnership with me. I've got to wash your feet. So how does Peter respond to that? Verse 9, Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have fellowship with me. And Peter said, oh, 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 if that's the case, then wash my head, wash my hands, wash my feet. I want to have a part with you. I want to have fellowship with you. But notice verse 10. Jesus saith unto him, saith to him, he that is washed, underscore the word washed there, needeth not save to wash his feet. But it's clean every whit, and you're clean, but not all. Let me read verse 10 to you again. Let me read it. Let me give you a trivet uh, rendering of it. He that has had a bath doesn't need a bath again, but he just needs to wash his feet. You see, there's two words that are used there. The first word, wash, that is used is a word that means to bathe all over. Jesus said, he that is washed or he that has had a bath he that has had a full bath, let's say in the beginning of the day or in the morning, you don't need to take another bath a few hours later or whatever like that. But what you do need to do, the second word wash, is a word that means to bathe a part of the body. 
And Jesus said to Peter, you don't need a bath again. But what you do need is to get your feet washed. Now you listen to me. If you've been saved with the grace of God, you have had a bath. You have been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't need another bath. He made atonement for sins once for all. So you don't need to get saved again. You don't need a bath again. But to tell you what you do need, you do need to wash your feet. And that's what the labor is all about. Same thing's true about turning back to Exodus chapter 30. And the priests, when they were inducted, you can jot this reference down in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 4, when the priests were inducted into their high and the holy office, they were bathed all over. Moses brought Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle and he washed them all over with water as they were inducted into that office. But now he's talking about another to stop at the labor to be cleansed. The point is this. The labor reminds us in the Christian life that we who are saved, we must deal with sin. That every day of our life, and this was a daily thing, several times a day, I don't care if a man went into the tent and came back out to get something and went back in. He stopped by the laver. He washed himself, ceremonially, ceremonially cleansed himself before he ever went back in. And as a child of God, I must be cleansed from my sin. I must wash my feet every day. I must come before God and get daily cleansing of my sin. I've been to the altar. I'm going to God, but I must live a clean life if I'm going to live in the presence of the God. Amen? There's a third and a final thing, and that's the procedure at the labor. They would do two things. They would wash their feet, as we pointed out a moment ago, and they would wash their hands. Now, why are their hands and their feet? It was symbolic of these two things. Their feet was symbolic of their walk. Their feet was symbolic of their walk. Again, before they could enter in the tabernacle, they had to wash their feet. Again, the ideal is if you're going to walk with God and you're going to walk in the presence of God, you've got to deal with sin. You've got to deal with sin daily in your life. You can't let things go no matter what it is, whether it be bitterness or jealousy or anger, whatever it is, it has to be dealt with day by day by day by day. If you're harboring something in your heart, you've never had it cleansed, don't, don't, I don't care how loud you jump or how high you jump, how loud you shout, if there's something in your life that's not right, you're not in fellowship with God. You've got to get it out. It's got to be cleansed. Your walk must be right in order to get in the presence of God. But then the hands were symbolic not only of their walk, but of their work. They were about to go into the tabernacle. There they would perform daily service. We're going to be looking at these things. They would go in and there was the candlestick that was lit. There was the incense that was burned. There was the table of showbread. They would go in there and with their hands they would serve in the holy place. Their hands had to be cleansed. Before they could serve God, before they could... Walk with God, they had to be cleansed. Before they could serve God, they had to be cleansed. Now, you want God to use you tonight. You really want God to use you. It's a simple, simple procedure to be used of God. Just, just live for it. Keep your life clean and keep your life sins down with day by day and God will take you and use you. 
That's what you have to do. Your feet's got to be clean and your hands got to be clean. You can't walk with God with a dirty life and you can't serve God with dirty hands. Take your prayer sheet for tonight. That's a few thoughts about the labor. Next Wednesday night, now we're going to come to the entrance to the tabernacle itself and we're fastly making our way into the Holy of the Holies. Our special prayer request tonight, we want to remember these. Of course, our things we pray for every week, our missionary of the week, David and LaCara Smith serving in, in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands with evangelism missions. We want to pray for them. Our church of the week is Victory Baptist Church in North Augusta. It's where Brother Aaron uh, came from. Brother Larry Brown is the pastor. Many of you know Brother Brown. He'll be with us next year in uh, our summer meeting. And, but we want to pray tonight for Victor Baptist. God is really blessed, doing great things there and serves as a model and example to many of us. But we want to lift them up in prayer that God will continue to bless. And then the hospital list tonight, Memorial Alex Padgett, Dora Revels, she's been having some tests run, Robert Hare, and it's, uh, also the lady that takes care of her security, the policewoman that takes care of her parking lot during service, her grandfather, Henry Campbell, uh, that's, that's Robert Hare and then Ruby Roush's son-in-law, Henry Campbell, is at Memorial Hospital. Irene is back at East Ridge. Juanita is back at Huntsville. Barbara Cole at Health South is rehab and then Agnes Waters at Park Ridge Hospital. And so we want to remember these. And, of course, remember John Robbins' his sister. Her funeral was yesterday. And then on the back, there are many, many regular requests that folks have turned in for us to pray for. I want you to come. Let's gather around the altar. Let's do three things tonight. One, I want, I want us to pray for our missionary of the week. Two, I want us to pray for our church of the week. And three, we want to pray now that God will take the Word of God and use it in our lives, that we'll learn to deal with sin in our life. We want to walk with God and we want to serve God. And for that reason, we've got to come to the labor and be cleansed. All of you will. Let's just come gather around the altar. Let's have a time of prayer. Let's pray for Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray for folks to be saved. Let's pray for the presence and the power of God. Let's come expecting the Lord to give us a good day. Get friends and family in Sunday school. Yes, Pearl. Let's remember Darren. Everybody loves Darren. Darren is a person you can't help but love. And he's the guy that plays the bass guitar and sings specials with the choir and different things. Let's remember Darren tonight. Thank you, Pearl. Let's, let's lift Darren up and pray for him. And yes. Okay. All right, let's remember Martha Carter tonight. Any others? Feel free on Wednesday nights when we have prayer time. Feel free to share anything that we maybe don't have. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's that's something to rejoice in. Amen. Praise the Lord. Sharon? 
Amen. Absolutely. Let's slip this sister up to the Lord. Maybe somebody's got somebody coming Sunday that's unsaved. You want us to pray for now? Anybody? Uh, you're working on trying to get, and uh, or I know most of you you're gonna start working tomorrow, right? Amen. But let's pray for these. Anybody? Anything else? Anything else before we pray? All right, let's pray. Yeah. Yes. remember this son. Sure will. Let's pray for this son. Amen. These people and all these prayer requests, you treat them in prayer as if they were your own request and lift them up. Let them become a burden to you. That's what compassion is. Compassion is entering into uh, someone else's needs and feeling and, and feeling as they would feel in that situation. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come tonight thanking you for the privilege to pray. Father, a praying church is a powerful church. And so, Father, these moments that we take to close out our Wednesday night service, Father, we don't want to take them lightly. This is a very important time. It's time when we as a congregation come to you with things that touch our lives and to be mindful of others. Father, tonight as we come, we pray for the Smith family in the Virgin Islands. Thank you for our missionaries. And for the Smith family tonight, we pray that you meet any need they might have. Bless their work there in the islands. Give them many souls for their labor. Soften and open hearts to the gospel. Bless them. Lord, we pray tonight for our Church of the Week, for Victory Baptist in North Augusta. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done there. Amazing work that God has done. And I pray, Lord, you'll continue to bless them. May they have only scratched the surface of what you're going to do for them in the days to come. Multiply the church and just empower the church and just do great things. Give them a great day on the Lord's day. I pray they'll see wonderful things happen. Father, we pray tonight for the special requests and every name on our list we pray for. And those in the hospital that you'd meet their needs. And then, Father, we pray for Sunday. Father, put a burden in all of our hearts to get our family and friends in church on Sunday. Father, may everyone in this room between now and Sunday call somebody. Give us a concern and a burdened heart and a desire to want to get folks in church. May everywhere we go, Lord, we tell people about the church and invite them to come to church. And then, Lord, as we get them here and as they come, Father, it's not so much the church that becomes the key thing, it's you that becomes the main thing. And we want them to see you. May Temple Baptist always be a place where Christ is lifted up and exalted. May it be a place where in our fellowship, in the harmony of our fellowship, that Jesus is, is exemplified. He's glorified in our worship. And that he is seen. He's high and lifted up. Father, on the Lord's day, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, may this place be filled Give us a vision, Lord, of what you want to do here. We thank you for what you're doing. Our hearts are stirred by the work of God we're seeing done in this place. We ask you, Lord, that you'll just move and continue to bless. You want to bless your children. And so we pray tonight that you would bless us and bless us indeed. 
Be up with me with this Sunday. May many be saved. Draw people. Work. May every Sunday school class be full. May we just have a great day. Most of all, may it be a wonderful day in heaven as a result of those that come to know the Lord. So draw people to Jesus Christ. And Sunday night, a special service Sunday night, bless it and anoint it, the choir, as they'll be singing and blessing our hearts. And Brother Squire and others that are coming in, bless them, Lord. Give us a great day. It'll be a wonderful day. We're anticipating a glorious day on the Lord's day. So, Father, we pray you're blessed. Now, be with faith as we, our faith teams, as they go out tomorrow night. And I pray, Lord, that you just bless and give us a fruitful night for the glory of God. I pray tonight that tomorrow night we'll be able to win folk to the Lord Jesus and we'll bear fruit for the Savior. Now, thank you again for all you're doing. Help us, Lord, to cleanse ourselves day by day that we might enter into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Shake hands and fellowship as you leave tonight. If you can't do that, at least smile, and the Lord will help you there. Amen? You're dismissed. Bring somebody Sunday.